We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Yay! If I don't go back to what I was doing this Friday, our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me, then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide in theaters Friday. Rated PG 13, maybe inappropriate for children under 13. Basketball podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code ROTOHOOPS when you deposit on DraftKings. It'll get you a free contest entry today. All right, it is Monday, April 4th, NCAA Tournament Championship Monday. Uh, opening day, I guess the real opening day for me uh, in the MLB. I think we had three games, including a spring training game for some reason. The Cubs and the Angels were playing a spring game on Sunday, so... Officially, the baseball season started Sunday, but I think Monday is the day you know that everything really kicks into high gear. Um, you know, we were just talking before we we started recording, Benny, that you know you're you're pretty deep into the MLB DFS already. Where does baseball check in on your hierarchy of of sports that you follow or or like? I guess. Um, I mean, it, it, it all 
matters the season. I mean, I like baseball, basketball, football. That's the three sports that I do. You know, I write for the three major ones. So whenever the season's going, that's pretty much where my focus is. You know, baseball, I kind of won't be too – I mean, I'm, I'm doing work for it, so I'm obviously following it. But I really don't get too involved in it until after NBA playoffs. Or actually, I'm pretty involved in it at the beginning. It takes a little bit of a lull when the playoffs start and that starts getting exciting. And then, um, you know, after the NBA playoffs are over, it's pretty much hardcore full-time. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm not a huge baseball guy. I think my baseball knowledge – kind of peaked in like 2005 uh because i played so much uh mvp baseball 2005 mm. so i think i could like name more about you know what was going on in the the 2005 season like statistics and rosters wise than i could now just because of the hours spent on the old playstation 2 um <laughs> but no i mean this is always a great time of year obviously we have the the conclusion of the ncaa tournament tonight like i said um and then we're about i think eight or nine days away from the start of the nba playoffs that to me is is the best time of the year, and the playoffs admittedly can get a little bit long. You know that first round, especially you know with it now being a seven game series. Um, I guess it's been you know probably a decade or more since they made that switch, but the first round series can get a little bit long. You know outside of maybe those three six matchups and four five matchups, but um, I'm certainly not complaining that the NBA playoffs is basically a two month process. Yeah, no, I don't mind it at all, and I actually like it that way because. You know, you get you get two teams going in there, and when, when you get a good series where it's going back and forth and, you know, everyone's protecting their home court or they're trading games, um, you know, back and forth, I mean, you get you get amped up for games five, six, and seven when it's, you know, 2-2 two, two, and all four of the first couple games were decided by, like, a bucket or two. You know, you, you like those series. And like you said, you might only get one or two of them in the first round, but, you know, you get to the second round and all four of those series are usually good. You get to the conference finals, those series are always, you know, pretty interesting and then when it gets to the nba finals everybody's watching anyway so it's it's two months but it's a good two months and everybody's playing hard we're not going to have any of this you know oh, boogie cousins sitting out tonight or well actually boogie cousins is going to be sitting out the whole playoffs but you know that's right. another story right yeah we'll talk a little bit about that some teams to you know to avoid i guess if you're still doing nba dfs down this last you know four or five games of the season but we could talk a little bit about the playoff picture cleveland uh they they beat the hornets yesterday I watched the first half of that game. I think Cleveland was up by as much as 20 or 21 at one point. And then I, I kind of turned away to do some things. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the Cavs kind of blew that lead. And I think the Hornets had it down to five or six pretty late in the fourth. But Cavs were able to hold on. They're up three and a half now on second place Toronto. Um, Cavs have five games left. Toronto has six games left. Are you ready to lock this one in and, and say that LeBron is going to get his first Eastern or his second, I should say, second Eastern Conference regular season title? Uh, since he left the Cavaliers the first time? Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to do it. I think what's more important for them is how quickly they can do it. They're probably hoping for, like, a Toronto loss and another win for them because that basically puts them, you know, within a half game of, of clinching it all up because once they get everything set and they know they're there, you know, then they could really rest all these guys and just go with the bench and right. kind of get everybody right for the playoffs, which they've had a couple injuries. You know, Kyrie was banged mm -hmm. up for points of the year. And yeah, Kyrie Kevin didn't play Love yesterday. Was up. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, for them, I think they're just trying to get, you know, probably one or two more victories, hoping for, uh, hoping for a Toronto loss. And then if that takes two or three games, I think after that, you're going to see them kind of shut down some of the starters or, you know, give them maybe 15, 20 minutes just to stay in shape. Right. No NBA games at all on Monday as they clear out the schedule, I guess, to make room for, for opening day and maybe more so the NCAA title game. 
Uh, but Cleveland finishes out with, with four division games and then a matchup with Atlanta. So they're at Milwaukee on Tuesday, Toronto home to Charlotte on Tuesday. Um, you know, like you said, I think if Cleveland can win in Milwaukee, which, which is a very winnable game, although Milwaukee has played well against LeBron teams for whatever reason, uh, back, even going back to his Miami days. Um, Toronto, you know, Charlotte's a, a more formidable opponent than Milwaukee, certainly. So maybe if Toronto loses tomorrow night, Cavs win, all of a sudden that's a four-and-a-half game lead. Uh, I think at that point, then maybe we see guys like LeBron and, and Tristan Thompson and Love and Kyrie maybe rest, you know, two of those final four games, uh, as you alluded to. But the rest of the Eastern Conference, uh, I mean, there's a little bit of room here. Cleveland and Toronto are going to finish 1-2 no matter what happens. Atlanta and Boston, uh, Miami and Charlotte, though, those three through six spots all separated by a half game right now. So Atlanta currently sits at the three uh, due to the tiebreaker scenario. Charlotte all the way down at six. But, I mean, by the end of Tuesday night, those four teams could basically be completely shuffled in just about any order. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I don't think it really matters to any of them no. either. You know, I mean, Atlanta's been playing pretty well. You probably don't want to go up against them. But to me, though, those four are all pretty even. Well, Boston, they're all playing Atlanta. each other too, you know. I mean, you're not yeah. you're not worrying about who gets Toronto, who gets Cleveland. It, right, right now it's looking like Indiana or Detroit are going to get those two matchups. So, like you said, Atlanta, Boston, Miami, Charlotte, to me those are all basically even teams. You know, on any night they could beat each other. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. I mean, is there any arrangement of those four that you're kind of rooting for that you want to see in round one? I mean, I, I think it's more like – these four teams, they know that they're going to be playing each other. So, you know, to me, I don't really think any of them need to go ahead. And, and you know, I guess you kind of want home court advantage. So, you know, maybe you want to win one or two of these games. I would probably not want to see Atlanta of all these teams here because they've been playing pretty well lately and, and reeling off a lot of wins. But, I mean, I think all four of them are evenly matched. So, I, you know, I don't think there's any matchup that one of these four would like better than the other one. You know, they're all going to be tough, and these are probably going to be the two games that the two matchups that do go to six or seven games in the first round. And, you know, I, you know, I think that all four are locked in, so it really doesn't matter to them. So they're, they could start sitting players or they could be going for home court advantage. So it's interesting to see, you know, which which tactic each one of the coaches takes here. Right. To me, I think I see this kind of as having more implications for Cleveland and Toronto as far as projecting who they might see in round two. If it ended right now, you would have Boston and Miami. Boston is the four, Miami is the five. The winner of that series would go uh, and play Cleveland in round two, assuming they're able to get by Detroit or Indiana. If I'm Cleveland, I don't really want to play Boston. I really, really don't want to play Miami. I mean, you'll take your chances, certainly, against those teams, uh, you know, teams that are 10, 11 games yeah. uh, worse you know, than you. But you know, Boston is the best coach, I think, in the Eastern Conference. Miami is the most experienced in the Eastern Conference. I think if you could choose, you'd rather play Atlanta or Charlotte to me than those two teams. Yeah, and Miami has actually had Cleveland's number. You right. Know, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know the reason for it, but the, they always seem to beat Cleveland whenever they play the Cavs with LeBron. So that might not be an easy series for them. So yeah, I would. I would be hoping that I don't see Miami until right. I guess the Eastern Conference Finals if you're going to see them at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it, to me, maybe it is a little bit overblown, but there's that familiarity factor with Miami. You know, I mean. The, the veterans on that Miami team that played with LeBron for four years, you know, they kind of know mm. his tendencies. The coaching staff certainly, uh, in theory at least, would be able to scheme against him a little better. But it also does kind of remind me, I think it was two seasons ago, um, you know, LeBron's final year in Miami. Didn't they lose all four regular season matchups to Brooklyn uh, and then played him in the first round, and I think they swept him? Yeah, there was kind of yeah. that concern that they, there was some sort, like psychological bur- like you know factor they just couldn't beat this Brooklyn team for whatever reason. Think weird things kept happening in the regular season, but 
you know, when it came down to take care of business, they did. And I don't think I don't think Boston or Miami are serious, serious threats to the Cavaliers. But you know, you never want to predict injuries or anything like that. But all of a sudden, if if Kyrie's still banged up or Kevin Love's banged up or obviously LeBron, that becomes a series very, very quickly. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I fully expect to see Cleveland and Toronto playing for the Eastern Conference Finals here. But, um, you know, like you said, you never know. I mean, look what happened last year. I mean, even last year, though, they played it without Kyrie for the most part. And, you know, I think in the playoffs, LeBron just turns it on and, you know, he coasts through most of the season. And, I mean, even with him coasting, he's a great player. But when they need him to step up in the playoffs, there's very few guys that have the ability to to really step up, and he's one of them. So I, I fully expect Cleveland to, you know, make it to the Eastern Conference Final and come out of the East here. So I wouldn't really be too worried. I think everybody else needs to step up their game to beat them. If I was Cleveland, I wouldn't really be worried about who right. was standing in my way. Right, especially the way LeBron's playing now. I mean, he closed March averaging 26, 8, and 7, shooting 55% from the field, uh, you know, since the start of March, really playing the best basketball that we've seen, you know, over a month-long stretch since he's been back in Cleveland, even going back to last year. So I think that bodes well for Cleveland. And like you said, the Cavaliers can basically play their, like, B-minus game and beat just about anybody in the East, whereas you're matched up with Atlanta, Boston, Miami, even even Toronto to an extent, that you need to have your, you know, your A to A-plus game if you're going to actually beat this team four times. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's the thing is you can play an A, A-plus game and beat them one or two games in the series, but... Mm-hmm. To do it four times in, in, in seven nights, right. you know, I, I don't really see anybody who has well, enough talent to, to do that to them. What I like about Cleveland, and, and this has kind of been, it's kind of gone both ways, I guess, you know, because, you know, Mozgov hasn't played well this season and their bench has been so up and down, but they they have, they're like two or three different teams they can throw out there. You know, if, if, if the matchup calls for it, they can go big. They have the personnel to do that. If the matchup calls mm-hmm. for it, they can go small. They can throw Channing Fry at center if they have to. I, I do like that. They're able to adjust, I guess, to whatever anybody throws at them. I think especially in the East, that's going to allow them to cruise through pretty easily. Um, but looking at the West, a little bit more of a a playoff race, at least going down in the bottom half of the Western Conference. Um, Dallas, Utah, and Houston really kind of jockeying for those last three spots. Portland, you know, they've, they've been 6-4 and four over their last 10, not terrible. Memphis, just 2-8. and eight. Obviously, we know about all their injuries over their last 10. All of a sudden, they're kind of you know, things are a little bit murky. At least, I mean, they're still holding on to the five, but uh, only two games up on Dallas and Utah, who sit at seven and eight, and only three games up on Houston. Um, I mean, are you are you pretty safe locking in Memphis and Portland, uh, or do you think there's still somewhat of a chance that those teams could maybe back out of this with a with a total collapse over this last week and a half? I mean, I guess there's a chance. I'd probably be a little more worried if I was Memphis than if I was yeah. Portland. You know, with with all the injuries that they have and the you know the the basically skeleton crew that they're rolling out there, you know, I would be worried. They they look like they were a lock to stay in like that four, five, six right. seed range and kind of avoid the, you know, going up against um, Golden State or, or San Antonio. But now it kind of looks like you know if they're gonna kind of flounder their way into the playoffs and back in the way they're doing it now, if they even hang on in the first place they're probably going to wind up getting one of the top two seeds here. But even if you get the three seed, the three seeds, what, OKC at this point? You know, that's not exactly a gift either. So, I don't know. I think that whoever whoever does wind up with Memphis in the first round has got to be pretty happy because it's probably going to be the softest of any of the first-round teams that you get matched up with. Right, and their schedule's not favorable down the stretch. I mean, they get Chicago on Tuesday. This is a Chicago team that's in a must-win scenario. They're at mm-hmm. Dallas on Friday. That's somewhat of a must-win game for Dallas. And then they go Golden State- uh, Los Angeles, Golden State 
to finish out. So, I mean, Memphis backing out of this, and I mean, they're not going to be favored in any of those five games. No. If the Dallas, they, they're, they're at Dallas on Friday, too. So, I mean, it, yeah, they could very easily be, go 0-5. That's the key game for them there because you got to figure, you know, their, their, their best hope is that Golden State decides to sit everybody for that last game. And, uh, you know, they can sneak one out of it because if they if Golden State plays them with everybody, they're probably going to beat them in that one game before then. You know, like you said, Chicago's a game you can lose to. Which L.A. do they have? The Clippers or Clippers. the Lakers? Clippers. That's, yeah, that's not the that's not. I the, mean, the they could very conceivably end the season on an 11-game losing streak and still make the playoffs. Um, but like you said, I think if you're the Clippers, you're kind of rooting for Memphis to win almost, aren't you? Like, don't you want the, don't you want the Grizzlies instead of the Blazers? In round one, like it'll be interesting to see what happens in that in that Memphis Clippers game on April twelfth. You know, if that's let's say Memphis is tied with Portland at the time for that five seed, if you're the Clippers, do you sit you know your top four or five guys and almost ensure you lose that game to try to lock in that matchup with Memphis? I mean, I would. I think whichever one of the top four seeds draws Memphis has to be happy because right. they're probably going to have a four or five game series, get a, a couple days to rest. Well, I mean, this Memphis team on, is basically you know? the equivalent of a non playoff team, right? I mean, they're not yeah. right now. Memphis is no better than a team like Minnesota or even Phoenix, just because of all their injuries. Mm-hmm. No, I would. I would actually be a little more scared of even playing some of those teams than I would be of yeah. playing Memphis right now. Because think about it. I mean, you know, Connolly's Connolly's out. Gasol's out. You know, you got Zebo in and out of the lineup. I mean, they're starting, you know, guys like Jermichael Green or Zebo at center. They're starting, you know, Matt Barnes is like the, the, the biggest offensive threat on the team. And when have we ever said that about Matt Barnes in his NBA career? So, you know, so Lance, they're relying on Lance Stevenson to carry a lot. I mean, if that, you know, if I'm a playoff team and I get to play Memphis in the first round, I got to be pretty happy about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it'll be it'll be very interesting to see how how those Western Conference teams, you know, maybe try to manipulate those matchups but Utah Houston and Dallas like we said those are the big three kind of fighting for two spots right now if we're going to assume uh, that Memphis and Portland can hold on but looking at the remaining schedule Utah they're home to San Antonio home to the Clippers at Denver home to Dallas and then at the Lakers to finish out Houston goes Dallas Phoenix the Lakers Minnesota and Sacramento so they have by far the easiest uh, final Mm -hmm. five games and then Dallas has Houston Memphis the Clippers Utah uh, and they finish out with San Antonio, a game that you would probably think the Spurs will be resting quite a few guys. So taking that into account and, and kind of where these teams are, again, Houston being one game back of Dallas and Utah, um, you know, wh- who's your prediction, I guess? Which which of these three doesn't end up making it? I think Utah's going to wind up being the odd man out with the caveat that they could wind up moving ahead of Memphis and Memphis could wind up being the odd man out. Mm-hmm. I think... To me, Portland has the best chance of saying, you know, we're locking up our playoff spot. We're going to be there. And then I think Houston is probably the team I like the most of those three, even though they're, what are they, a game back from some of them? Now, do they have, what do they have, four games left to play? All of them have five games left. And, and okay, like so I said, five, Houston yeah, has they Houston have the same gets, amount. Right, they all have the same amount. Yeah, I think Houston is probably the team that I like the most, even though they're one game out of it at this point. Uh, I I know the schedule's a little bit tough for them, but they're you know they have the weakest of everybody that was left, so they're probably on top of the list for me. And then, like I said, I like Utah a little bit more than I like Dallas, mostly because I, I take the defense over the offense when it comes to winning some games. And Dallas is more of an offensive team, and Utah's more of a defensive team. And and Dallas has injuries right now too. You know, Chandler Parsons out, Darren Williams hasn't been playing. You know, they've been backing them up with guys like Felton and. And Wes Matthews and uh, J.J. Barea and Felton was out the other night. And Barea had a big game. And 
you know, I mean, they're they're doing it with like smoke and mirrors right now. Eventually, I think that, you know, they run into good teams, and you can't really, you know, trick your way into wins that way. Right, right. Yeah, that, I think I'll be more closely watching this Western Conference race than I will the East, just because there seems to be a little bit more uh, at stake there. But the Rockets got a big win over OKC on Sunday to kind of stay in this race. Like we said, Cavs beat the Hornets, um, and the Clippers beat the the Washington Wizards, which not mathematically eliminating them, but the Wizards are now four games back uh, of Indiana and Detroit. So, you know, one more win by those teams or lost by the Wizards uh, should should put the final nail in the coffin for them. And are they the most disappointing team in the NBA to you this season? I mean, you know, Bradley Beal was out for a big portion of the year, and I still don't think that they have good big guys. I mean, Gortat is okay. You know, Nene has never been able to play more than 25 minutes. You know, for me, they need a big inside presence if they're really going to do something. You know, I think John Wall's had a great year. He's taken a step forward, and he's been a leader, you know, huge assist guy. Otto Porter is all right on the offensive end, but he plays absolutely no defense. You know, adding Markeith was nice, but I think they need more of, like, an inside presence kind of big man. You know, like I said, Gortat is good in some matchups, but, you know, I don't think he's good enough to, to really make them a top team, so... I'm not really disappointed because I didn't think the Wizards were going to be that great this year. I figured at best they were going to be a team that, you know, fought for one of the the bottom four playoff spots. So that's basically where they are with a few, you know, a few losses behind there, which probably could have been turned around if you had Bradley Beal for most of the season. But I don't think they have the upside to be an elite team in the East at this point. I think I think they're still, you know, at the very least one solid rebounding big man short. Yeah, I think that's all fair. I think people generally underrated the East a little bit, and I think they thought the talent on this Washington team would just, you know, basically John Wall and Beal alone would be enough to kind of lock them into the top five or six teams, but obviously that wasn't the case with Beal getting hurt, and I think so much of the onus ended up falling on John Wall that, and, you know, he's openly been frustrated about it, where it's just he's not quite, you know, that type of player, at least yet, who can single-handedly carry you to the playoffs, and they just don't have enough depth. I mean, I do like their starting five. Like, but like you said, you know, Nene can. You know, he only played fifty three games, missed something like twenty five games already this season. Rarely plays more than twenty twenty five minutes. All of a sudden, you get beyond those top four or five guys. You're relying on a lot from Gary Neal, from guys like Jared Dudley, Garrett Temple, Chris mm-hmm. Humphreys. You know, when he was still on the team, I, yeah. you can't you can't have Garrett Temple be you know your seventh man. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why Wall is frustrated because. He's at his best when he's running the show and he has guys that can finish and guys who, you know, he can get the ball to because if he's got shooters hitting shots, then guys can't, you know, double him or, or help out on him. If he's got big guys that are finishing, they, you know, then when he goes to the hole, the guys can't come over there. So it actually makes his job easier if he has players around him. And he's a great passer. I mean, he's a guy who's putting up double-digit assist numbers every game. You actually give him guys that can finish, those numbers could go up even more. You know, he's getting... 10 or 11 assists a game with guys like, you know, Dudley and and, and Temple taking a whole bunch of shots. Mm -hmm. You know, give him a couple scorers around him, and, you know, those numbers could be like Rajon Rondo on the Celtics numbers when they were winning uh, championships. Right, and and conceivably much less empty than than Rondo's numbers have been at least the last couple of years. I remember around the All-Star break, Randy Whitman had had some quote, you know, basically saying, you know, once once we get Allen Anderson back, I think I think that'll really help our bench. And I mean, nothing against Allen Anderson, but if if that's yeah. the missing piece that you're hoping to to kind of turn around your season over the final 30 games, I I, I remember thinking like this is not going to go well. And and Anderson no. now, in retrospect, has played you know something like 70 total minutes for this team, and you know continues to deal with ankle issues. So, I mean, they start looking ahead to next year, 
I think they're probably out on Durant at this point. That, that that train has really gone off the rails this season with the type of year that they've had, but they're still going to have room to make some additions. And the problem with where they're finishing, though, is they're probably going to get, what, the, the 12th pick in the draft, something like that. I mean, it's going to be difficult to find an impact player there. So I don't know if they look to the free agency market or what, but it's hard to see them you know, getting drastically better this offseason. Yeah, they need, like I said, to me, they need – you know, they, they need like a LaMarcus Aldridge type big guy. Right. And I, there aren't many of them in the league, if any of them in the league, you know. So, I, you know, we'll have to see who who's a free agent at the end of the year, who they can get. Right. You know, the one thing you said that I agree with is I'm pretty sure they have money under the cap after the season because yeah. they were trying to free it up for Durant. So even if they don't wind up getting Durant, because nobody knows what's going on with that situation, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully the, they'll be able to spend it wisely and not, you know, give another big contract to a guy like Nene who plays right. 24 minutes a game and you know is never on the court when they need him to be at the end yeah I mean I don't think their situation is maybe quite as dire as as it's made out to be I mean they have they have their franchise piece in place if Beal stays healthy they have a solid number two I like Gortat a lot honestly but he can't yeah. be your second best player that's the problem he needs well, to so be yeah especially not your second best scorer that's right. their biggest issue he's a yeah I like him a lot as a role partner I think he can if he's like your third or fourth option I think that's excellent but you know they're, they're just missing that piece like you said La- uh, LaMarcus Aldridge type would be ideal for them um so the Warriors lost on Friday that was probably the biggest news from the weekend. They lose at home, their first home loss, I think, since mm-hmm. January of uh, 2015. Uh, how shocked were you? I don't know. I assume you've seen the highlight at this point. If not, I'm sorry. But how shocked were you that Curry rimmed out on that three late in the fourth? I mean, it almost it, he's almost gotten to the point where we expect him to go in, and we're right. more shocked when he misses. Everybody else, you're not that you're more shocked when it goes in, but you know, like you just expect when it when he throws it up, it's not like you're saying. Oh man, I hope that goes in. It's almost like, oh no, he's about to do it again. You know, it's right. like, so you're more shocked when he misses at this point than when he uh, when he makes one of those uh, you know shots. Right, and it's, it's such a good look too. I forget who it was that flew out on him and and you know just overran on the fake. And I mean, he's not going to get a better look at that point in the game. And uh, but he's still a huge win for Boston. I mean, mm-hmm. now it kind of leaves San Antonio with that possible goal of of being the only undefeated team ever uh, in history of the NBA at home. We'll see. You know, they, they get two more matchups with Golden State, so we'll see how that ends up shaking down. But Warriors now sitting at eight losses, 68-8, uh, and eight, which is still surreal, with six games left. They get Minnesota, San Antonio, Memphis, San Antonio, Memphis to finish out. Um, you know, I think three of those five are probably lock victories, obviously Minnesota and the two Memphis games. But I, we talked about this a little bit last week. Part of me hopes that, you know, they, they – have a chance or at least the Spurs put in an effort to try to end this uh you know this march toward the record see I could see them I could see them playing hard one of those two games I think the other game they're gonna sit everybody out probably what I think they'll probably do are they both at San Antonio nope uh they're home they're at Golden State on Thursday at San Antonio uh on Sunday oh so the last game of the season is at San Antonio right. That's interesting. I I don't know. I mean, do you think Pop rolls them out there, rolls out the starters to try to beat Golden State in Golden State and get in their head? Because I don't think he's playing the starters the last game of the season. Because let's face it, what are they up, five games now? If they win one more game, they basically locked it up. And nobody's catching San Antonio. So really, if Golden State wins one more game, which they're very likely to do, San Antonio basically has nothing to play for. Yeah, well, that, that is true. But San Antonio does have two games after the second Golden State game. So for Golden State, that's their 81st game. For San Antonio, that's their 80th game. So, I mean, you could still conceivably get two days of rest. They have a back-to-back 
that following Tuesday, Wednesday, I don't think we'll see any starters or at least most of the, you know, the big three for them in those final two. But yeah, I mean, hopefully somebody puts up a fight. It would be a shame that, you know, I kind of wish that, I don't don't know who else, you know, Memphis is like the worst team that I want to see Golden State have to play twice in their final three games. Yeah, you know, I would like, I would, I would like to see Golden State get one more loss before that second San Antonio Yes, exactly. Game. But it's hard to see Minnesota be, doing it. Yeah, that'll be that'll be for the record. That would be nice. But yeah, right. I agree with you. I don't see where that loss is going to come from. Yeah, I mean the only the only conceivable option is if Pop goes, you know, goes full full roster on Thursday at Golden State. But you know, we'll see if that happens. Certainly not a guarantee at this point. Um, we'll keep this podcast fairly short. Again, no uh, no NBA games on the slate, so no DFS to really talk about. But NCAA tournament concludes on Monday night. North Carolina, Villanova, UNC, two-point favorites over Villanova. I think to me that sounds just about right, despite Villanova putting on probably the most dominant Final Four performance I've ever seen and I think statistically the most dominant performance of all time. Well, I think it was actually the second most dominant compared to they had a game in, in like the late seventies where Villanova, speaking of, shot like seventy four percent or something from the field. So this was like seventy two and a half or something right. like that. So I think I think I read somewhere that it was the second best shooting performance in Final Four history behind the other Villanova team that right. did it, you know, twenty something years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, did you, did you watch both these games on Saturday night? I watched part of it. I didn't see most of the Carolina game. I watched basically the first half of the Villanova mm-hmm. game, and then the beginning of the third, uh, the beginning of the second half, and then we pretty much just like you know started hanging out and and BSing right. because it was such a blowout. You know when they ran that they ran an inbounds play where the guy came up to set the back screen and then went long for the touchdown pass. Yep. I forget who it was. It might have been Jenkins who had the dunk. Yeah. Um, at, at that point, it was basically like everybody just kind of stopped looking up at the TV and you yeah. know, I had some friends over and we were just BSing and you know having a couple beers. So until the Carolina game started, I don't think anybody was really looking up at the screen for the last 10 or 12 minutes right. of that Villanova game. Well, there's, there's that play, I think, maybe three or four minutes into the second half. Um, there's, Oklahoma was at the free throw line. I think it was Woodard missed the free throw um, and then you know charged in, got his own rebound and laid yeah, it up. Yeah, nobody, box, nobody boxed him out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think at that point that cut the lead to eight or nine, and you kind of thought, like, all right, if, if, if Oklahoma's going to do this, this is going to be the moment that kind of switches it. And then Villanova immediately went on, I think, a 15-0 run, and they ended up going on a 22-0 run later in the half. Yeah. I mean, this was a 53-23 to in the second half alone. I mean, a complete beatdown by Villanova that Oklahoma got forced into starting to press, and that's, that led to some of those things like that touchdown pass. It seemed like Villanova was like constantly in three-on-two fast-break situations for basically the last yeah. 15 minutes of that game. But to me, it was, a, it was obviously a dominant performance, but it didn't feel like a, like a lucky performance, for lack of a better word. You know, it's, they hit a couple, Jenkins specifically, hit a couple you know, pretty tough contested shots, but it was just well executed. I mean, they were hitting open looks. They were making layups. It wasn't. It wasn't a game where that felt that fluky to me. They just looked that dominant. No, I mean, and somebody said that too. Somebody was like, "Oh, well, do you think Villanova has a chance against Carolina?" And and the joke was like, "Well, are they going to shoot seventy five percent again?" But you know what? I mean, even a game before who they beat Miami, the game before that, yeah, they, they beat shot Kansas. sixty. Yeah, I mean, they've been shooting sixty five percent for most of the tournament at this right. point. So you know, they just take high percentage shots. They get open looks and. They got guys that can knock them down. So, I mean, I think you got to, you know, like you said, I, I didn't feel like it was one of those above-their-head kind of performances that they couldn't repeat. 
Right. I just think this team's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we both agree they're not going to come out and shoot 70% against North Carolina, but this wasn't just a, a one of the, once in a lifetime, you know, everything breaks right and everything did break right, but it seemed like it seemed like it was planned out, you know, like they I don't think Villanova themselves are probably shocked that they played this well. I think they just executed to the best of their ability. Not the best defensive performance by Oklahoma, but I also didn't feel like they ever gave up at any point. I mean, they're this was more to me Oklahoma missing open looks than it was Villanova defending them. And then the the bigger thing I think was Villanova forcing turnovers, 17 uh, turnovers for mm-hmm. Oklahoma. It seemed like for a while there, they, they could not even complete a pass into the lane, you know, with guys like Spangler and Latin around the hoop. It seemed like every time they would bounce one in there, it would get stolen. But I mean, this was just missing shots. Buddy healed one of eight from three cousins, two of eight. I think at yeah. one point, was it first or early second half? They missed six shots on one possession. Wow. That's insane. I mean, they had 19, I mean, they had 19 offensive rebounds and lost by, 44 points yeah and Villanova actually did a really good job on Buddy too yeah. they basically switched over the top on every single screen and forced him to put the ball on the floor and go to the basket which is the thing in his game that is a little bit lacking you know he's a yeah. he's a great spot-up shooter he's good coming off the screens and knocking down those shots but he doesn't go to the hole at at this level he doesn't go to the hole well enough to be considered a you know, a threat all around. Like, I think that's the thing that he's really going to have to add to his game at the next level. Otherwise, he's going to wind up just being a, you know, a 3 and D guy like we talked about last week. Right. I think he gets to the hole well when he's shooting the ball well because it it gives him that extra advantage of defenders flying out worrying about the 3. Mm -hmm. You know, he kind of gets that extra half step. But when he's not shooting the ball well, and I don't think Villanova was intimidated by him. He he hit his first 3 right in the opening minutes of the game, didn't hit another one after that. And once he went cold, I, I think... You know, Villanova certainly didn't want to leave him open. I mean, probably the last guy in the country you ever want to leave open. But it kind of eliminated that factor of we can't let this guy shoot the ball. You know, I think they were a little bit more relaxed defensively and were able to to defend him as he tried to get inside. But I mean, he only took four shots that weren't threes. Was out of the game, uh, you know, fairly early by his standards, at least in the in the second half. As I don't know, I wanted to see Buddy Hield in the final, but this was this was a a shockingly bad performance uh, by Oklahoma yeah. as as, he, as much of a good performance as it was for Villanova. Yeah, didn't he win the Player of the Year this week too? He won the Naismith. I think Valentine okay. won the other one. Uh, is that okay. is that AP or USA Today? Yeah. I think they split them. I mean, there's a number of of uh, postseason awards, but I mean, to me, it's healed, right? Yeah. I I mean, they they both had really good seasons. Like I I really like watching Valentine play yeah. too, but. I don't think it's a year where we really had a clear cut like this guy. I mean, both guys were great. Both guys to me are, you know, first team All Americans. You know, I can't really say one was that much better than the mm-hmm. other. For me, there's no like clear cut. This was the best player in college basketball this year. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I saw I saw people just livid that that Valentine didn't win the Naismith yesterday. It's like I don't know how you can possibly be upset that Buddy Heald of all people won it over him. I mean, it, it's not like there was a any real controversial choice there. I think you really can't go wrong. Uh, but we'll finish out then. What is your prediction for tonight? You know, I mean, I'm a Carolina fan, so I'm going to take Carolina. I think, you know, it, my biggest prediction for tonight is going to be that Villanova is going to keep the game close because I think Bryce Johnson's going to have to come out and guard Jenkins on the outside, which is going to leave some of the lanes open down low. I think Ochefu and, you know, guys like Meeks will be banging on, on the block. But I think that some of the guards for Villanova are going to be able to get to the basket on the guards from Carolina. And without Bryce back there to, you know, block shots like he does so well, I think they're going to be able to finish. Either that or he's going to be back there blocking shots and Jenkins is going to have to have a big game from the three-point line for Villanova to win. 
But for my money and, you know, my rooting interest, I'm going with Carolina. Yeah, I'm going Carolina as well. I think this is going to be close, though. I I don't think – I think Carolina has the size, you know, and the depth, I guess, to kind of counter Mm -hmm. whatever Villanova brings at them. But I'm looking forward to what I think will be a game that's within five or six points uh, for most most of the night. The over-under on this one, uh, I believe – I just lost the page. I believe it was set at 149. Uh, it's up to 150 now. 150 for the over/under. Uh, does that sound about right to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, Carolina's going to try to play the game fast. Right. And Villanova, Villanova has shot makers, so they're, they're, they'll be able to hang and they'll be able to put up some points too. So, yeah, so like 75, 72, somewhere in yep. that range, 76, 74. I, th- I think that sounds about right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put an official score on. I'll say Carolina 72, Villanova 65. So you're going with the under. I'm going with the under, yep. I okay. think these, these tournament games tend to be officiated a little bit more closely, uh, and, and you know they just tend to slow it down a little bit. Just when you have, you know, when you get to this point in the tournament, especially a one seed versus a two seed, you're going to have teams that are sound on both ends. I think I think the defense ultimately kind of wins out there. Yeah, I, I could see it going under. 150 is a lot of points. It um, is. But then again, I mean, we've seen Roy Williams. You know, we were actually talking about it on Twitter the other day. The uh, Kansas Marquette game from when he was back there. We, we've right. seen him just kind of, you know, get the ball out of the net and push it up the floor and get it out of the net and push it up the floor. Right. So, well, you I mean, know, you look you at know, the scores. You, you look at the scores for these tournaments. I mean, Villanova, 86, 87, 92. They had only 64 against Kansas, uh, but then 95, of course, on Saturday. Carolina, 83, 85, 101, 88, 83. So, I guess, you know, the, the, the 150 does look high, but these are two of the highest scoring teams. Uh, throughout the entire tournament so it'll be interesting to see what happens there but that's all we have again no nba dfs on this monday but we will be back next monday uh, to break down what should be the final regular season uh, nba slate of 2015-16 napa Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm your monthly payment is zero and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.